right. We're on the air. I put on some uh, additional notes on the back, and I uh, emailed some notes to uh, those that cannot be with us today. Uh, if you would like a copy of the notes, I hope that you'll let us know so we can get them to you as well. It'll be our pleasure to make sure that you get them in hand. We're going to back up to Daniel chapter 9 uh, this morning, and uh, as we do, we want to look at the slide. I think, which one is it that has the uh, time frame on it, just before this one? We want to look at that time frame a little bit this morning to make sure we have a good understanding. There we go. Because the reality is, is that when we take a look at the numbers, and I, here's the problem, everybody loves to jump into the numbers. And uh, when they get into the numbers, it seems like there's a great hocus pocus. There was a man out in California that I told you about, uh, Harold Camping was his name. And uh, Harold Camping come up and he was just dead serious. And he said, the Lord's going to return on such and such date. At such and such time, we can anticipate it is return. And uh, Harold Camping had uh, convinced so many people that the Lord was going to come. Well, the Lord didn't show up. And, uh, you know, once again, there was a lot of preachers that they uh, lauded over top of him. Harold Camping uh, then said, I uh, want you to know that the earth is still going to be in destruction in October. And so, again, everyone was kind of waiting. Well, the reality is there are so many things that are in the Bible that we can turn around and say it's either going to be this way or no way, or it's going to be, you know, we're either right or we're wrong. Now, understand this. Having an open mind, you know, and i, I got to be careful with that, because the fact is a lot of people want to say an open mind means that you don't have anything in your brain when you're thinking. But an open mindset means that I want to be teachable. I want to learn, and I want to apply. You know, I thank the Lord that every opportunity I've had to study has been one to where I, I take a step back and I re-look at a lot of things. Let's go down to verse 23, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter once again, as we try to understand a little bit of the numbers that we see. Now, this is in correlation with chapter 9, chapter 10, and leading into chapter 11. And at the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly loved, beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people and the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be a flood. And until the end of the war of desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice, and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it to desolate, make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Let us pray. 
Father, again, I do ask that you will guide us and that you will bless us in our study today. Lord, you know the need of the congregation, those that are here and those that are uh, traveling. Also, Father, I may want to consider those that are taking a little time off for a vacation. But Lord, whatever the circumstance, all those that tune in, may they listen with intent the things that are written in the scriptures today. Lord, I pray that you will guide me and help me. May I also lean heavily upon the work of the Holy Spirit, so everything that I say, everything that I do, may be for your honor and your glory. So guide and lead and bless. May we rejoice in you in all things, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. As we begin today, there's a couple things I want to bring to your attention. Number one, we have to understand where we are at. Now, I will either learn my position from where I have started, and I will carry on that as I begin to study, or as I go in with a prejudice that says, well, I hold to this position. May I point out to everyone that is here that when I was younger, I, I was 26 years of age, and I was asked if I would consider pastoring a church in North Carolina. I had thought about it, but there was two things that I wasn't settled upon. Number one, I wasn't settled upon Baptist history. I love Baptist history. And when I go back and I look at it, it is because of what I study from the Baptist is why I'm a Baptist. You know, there are many books that are out there about the church that Jesus built. Roy Mason wrote that book. Uh, why Am I a Baptist? You know, there's other books that are there as well. But may I point this out to you? Even beyond those things, I knew that the Bible has to be true, and I need to comply to the Bible. The second thing that I was really intent upon was understanding my eschatology position. Now, eschatology, as we know, is a study of last things. And so it is after a period of time that I began to research other people's books and, and begin to read. And, and what I found is that I kept being drawn to the pre-tribulational position. I am pre-trib. Now, when, I, when this church interviewed me to uh, you know, consider being me as their pastor, one of the questions that came up is, what is your eschatological position? And I, without any question, said, I am pre-trib. Now, am I pre-trib because my mother and father was pre-trib? Or that the other preachers I've had in my past were pre-trib? That has nothing to do with it. I am convinced that the pre-trib position is the right position. And, and I've heard all the arguments. Well, I'll, let me show you one of them. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Holding your place here, if you've got one of those fancy little markers, that'll be good. But if not, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to go to verse 1. <coughs> My voice is a little bit shaky this morning, uh, mainly because I think I got a little bit of a sinus and it settled in my chest, but it's getting there. It's getting better all the time. Let's look at verse 1, shall we? Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must surely come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John. Many years ago, I sit down with a with another man, and I wanted to know, you know, he wanted to study with me, and he wanted to know why I was pre-trib. We spent two or three weeks just studying the word shortly, and I, 
and I said, you know, we can't move on unless we have, uh, you know, unless we settle this down in our mind. He said, well, surely means that it, it had to happen immediately. I said, it doesn't say immediately. It says surely, meaning that when it comes into place, it's going to occur. I put in your notes something that was written by John Walford. Now, I understand John Walford is one of the uh, individuals that I respect the most in his writings. I have a couple of his books upstairs. One I got which was called the, um, you know, the Millennial Kingdom. And I thought when I got the Millennial Kingdom that, that it was going to be a, uh, you know, give me more description of what the Millennial Kingdom was going to be right. What this entire book is about, it's a pretty good sized book. It's not bathroom material. It is one of those books that when you take a look at it, you're going to study it and you're going to see why he holds to the premillennial position. But John Walford also wrote a book called Revelation, the Alpha and Omega. And in that, here's one of the things he said. That which Daniel declared would occur in the latter days, here described as shortly. Now I want you to get this. So when Daniel says, in the latter days, he is really referring to this shortly that we see in Revelation 1.1. So when we talk about that, it is one that it shouldn't be a surprise. What else he says? That is the Greek word tashi, or tashai. That is quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating rapidity of execution after the beginning takes place. So understand this, is that this chart, or this map that we have behind us today, shows us the quickness that is going to occur, not only in the execution but if we understand the days that are there, when it finally occurs, it's going to be quick. Now, understand, I am a child that grew up with technology. Most of us that are here today grew up with technology. How many of you all ever remember a time when you didn't have televisions in your house? All right, there we go. We've got one. And, you know, the reality is I've got one person in here, and she is 29 years of age and growing. Uh, she is, uh, in that time frame, she never had a TV. I remember my grandparents had an old Philco. Remember the old Philco TV sets? We had one too. All black and white. And I get up one night to watch TV and, and Grandma got up and, or Mamaw got up and said, turn it down. You're making Grandpa want to get up. You know, Papa will get up and uh, you know, get started. I don't need you making all kinds of noise down here. So I took my chewing out, turned off the TV, went upstairs and went back to bed. But the reality is they didn't watch that much TV. TV became a place for me to be set down in front of and to watch it. It also changed my perspective on things. How many of us have uh, realized that the telephone was relatively new? How many of you all had telephones in your, in your house that was a party line? Okay? And I remember when we had the party line in our house, and, and we'd pick up the phone, and, and it seemed like there was two women up on Charlie Creek Road, and not talking about anything. And the reality is, is that you could, you could pick up the receiver almost any time that they would be in. And finally, Dad said, just take his phone out until you can get me a private line. Well, about a year or so later, we got a private line. And then we really paid for that private line. Dad said, don't ever call. How many of you all remember playing sports and using your, your, your telephone, making a re reverse call, and then that was to let them know your practice was over because it was long distance? Oh, I did. Yeah, this is a correct call. Would you just call and tell them that uh, Bob is on the phone, Bob, Bob Shanks, whatever his name was. And, and as soon as Dad heard that, there's no one here for Bob Shanks and hung up. And then Dad knew that it was time that my practice was over. 
Reality is we try to figure out any way we can make technology work for us. Going on down the path, how many of you all remember the first cell phone that came out? Or when the computer came out? I remember that I said, I don't want a cell phone. I don't need a cell phone. elected me as the division chair and the faculty chair at the college and they said you have to have a cell phone and they gave me one and I walked around with that and that was a great old cell phone too but you can't make any other call it's fine no problem and they gave me that old Nikoa, Nikoa phone and I had it on my side and it was great but it didn't have internet it didn't have cell phone service as far as the, uh, uh, I mean, it had cell phone service where I could take in phone calls, but I didn't have texting, didn't have anything else. Then came the blueberry. How many of you all remember blueberries? You know, most people don't know that before they came out with the iPhones and the Google phones, things like that, they had what they called the blueberry. And, uh, or what they call it, I don't care. Blackberry, okay, I said blueberry, didn't I? Blackberry, that, same, same idea, wrong person. Okay, but anyway, again, this gave us access to the Internet. And there was a little company called Apple that jumped onto the hoop, and they said, oh, we can outdo Blackberry, and they created the Apple phone. Well, the reality is, I now have two cell phones. One I use for work, and one I use for my, myself. And they both are, are so technologically advanced, I have to have that phone with me or I worry about those phones. How many of you ever thought about how much that those phones shackle you to this world? But do you realize, now get this, we are moving quickly, suddenly, towards the end times and all the technology is there. Someone asked me about that one time. Why do we see the sudden approach of the technology and it having its place? Because Satan does not have the power of God. Now, I want you to get this. Satan does not have, you're going to hear me re refer to this not only in this service, but in the service to follow, Satan does not have any of the attributes of God. He is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not, he's not omniscient. He doesn't have all knowledge. He is literally slave to... Jesus came at the perfect time when nobody wanted to know anything about God. And the reality is, is that when he came, he instituted the practices of God. He brought what is going to people that he would reach out to. But it is so funny how many times people would sit there and they're on their phone and they're distracted away from the things of God. I don't care how old you are. I don't like cell phones. I, I'll be honest. I don't play games on my phone. Lord knows that I, if I have a game, I had a game on my computer one time, and I woke up one day and I realized I spent four hours. I had this one game that was on Facebook called Farm Town or something like that. I had the biggest farm. My grandkids loved my farm. I mean, it was just growing and sprawling and everything else. It was a big old farm town. And I realized that I was spending two or three hours that I cannot get back playing that game. And one day I said, I've had enough. I'm not doing any more. Now, isn't that crazy? But the reality is we're so and we only want to get a little 
I'm now looking at the latter day. So this entire chart, and this is a simplistic chart, it is not designed to give us all the details that's going on in the world. I'll give you an example. This was around 500 uh, BC as we have it today. But we've got to understand this was in regards to the Jewish calendar, not to the Gregorian or the Julian calendar. We abide by what is basically the combination of both Julian and the Gregorian calendars. Reality is, is that they created something that was called A.D., there was no A.D. and B.C. in the time frame when Jesus walked upon the earth. He came at the appointed time. That's why the Bible does not give a specific date. It says, in the fullness of time. So when you see the fullness of time, that's when Jesus would come. Well, these things did not come into place till the fullness of time occurred. Now, it's not taking into account what's going on in Asia. It did not take into account what was going on in Africa. It did not take into account what was coming on in the United States. All of God's attention was focused around one little place, and that was called Jerusalem. And at the moment that when we began to see this, Jerusalem did not even exist. Now think about this for a moment. Jerusalem did not exist at the time that this was given to Daniel. So when we take a look at all the way over there, where it says in, in, from the book of Nehemiah that there was no decree or anything that was there. It was for the clarity of understanding. Now, I want you to get this. Let's go, turn backward. Now in Daniel again. We're going to go back to verse 2, shall we? Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. And I want you to get this. This is so powerful in everything we're looking at. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books... The number of the years. If you want to underscore the word number, you shouldn't understand the number of years. The reality is, is that whenever you begin to read the Bible, and you have people that want to criticize you by saying, well, when does weeks become numbers? Or that when does week become years? There it is right there. I want you to see that. Look what else he says. Wherefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he's referring back to Jeremiah the prophet that would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So the reality is, is that he is now speaking of 70 years. We see this in verse 2. So when anybody says, well, that's happened quickly, this happened suddenly, this is already done with, it doesn't, it doesn't match what the rest of the Word of God teaches us. So where do we see this? Let's go back to the book of Jeremiah. And I know I gave this to you last week, but I want you to see it now. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, and we're going to go down to verse 7. All right, everybody there. So Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, speaks of this so quick, quickly. It says, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. What is in the reference of Jacob's trouble? Hold your place here. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 29. And in Genesis, chapter 29, we want to go down to verse 18. Genesis, chapter 29, and go down to verse 18. Reality is, is that uh, it says in, let me make sure I'm, where I want to be, yeah. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years, 
seven years was a, a day for a year. You see, in the Jewish wedding, they had what they called the wedding week. Remember when Jesus came into Canaan and the first miracle he did was turning the water into wine? They were in the midst of the wedding week, if you will. And Mary come running up to Jesus and saying, they had no wine. Which was an embarrassment because while the, the couple was inside the marriage, there should have been wine, you know, plenty for everyone on the outside. Well, the reality is, is that they had run out of wine, and so the week was going to be disrupted until Jesus brought the best wine forward. Reality is, and let's go back here just for a moment. So we find that Jacob had agreed, if you give me Rachel, I will serve you seven years, and at the end of seven years, you will give me Rachel. Let's go ahead and finish reading. And, and Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should uh, give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for, he, for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, this is the next part I want us to get, give me my wife. For the days are fulfilled that I may go into her. This is the marriage feast, the marriage week. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went unto her. And Laban gave unto her the daughter, her daughter Leah, his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done? unto me. Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? So in other words, this is the course of Jacob's trouble. I served you for seven years and for one week with Rachel, but instead you gave me Leah. This was the beginning of his troubles. All right? And Laban said, It must not be done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her and we will give thee seven other years. And so Rachel was then given to, to uh, Jacob because the fact is his, uh, for this trouble that he had served, he served 14 years for two wives. Now, I bring that up because so many people immediately want to argue over the point is weeks and years. Everything in the Bible teaches us that God's time is not our time. I want you to get that. God's timing is never our timing. Why did Jesus wait 4,000 years to come to this earth? Why didn't he come immediately? Why didn't he come after Adam and Eve's fall? Because there had to be a fulfillment of time when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come. We need to remember that. And so I even think about this right now. We uh, are seeing a, a great falling away from many churches, many because that's our own doing. But understand this, is that the Lord will return and take the saints of his off this earth when that time is right, not until. We are not told exactly when he will come. We are not told the exact time that he will come, but we know that he is coming because we hold that and we believe that. All right? Now, one other thing we need to understand there was a clarity that was given unto the Lord regarding to the things that were there. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. 
And I want us to understand why Gabriel had to be sent to to Daniel for clarity. Go down to verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Now, I want you to get this. This, this is amazing to me. Daniel heard everything that the Lord was given. But everything that Daniel heard and everything that Daniel saw and all the images, he could not put them together. So when the Lord asked Gabriel to go to Daniel, he said, Daniel, you are highly beloved. The time that we read about, Daniel had already prayed for Jerusalem. He wasn't even praying for clarity of this understanding. I think sometimes when we least expect it, God gives us a complete understanding of things. Now, I wish, I, I, I don't go into debates. I, I hate debates, and yet so many people, they get their jollies on having debates. But many times when you go into debate, let me point this out to you, that the, whoever's moderating the b debate will either take one or two positions. They will either be on your side, or they'll be on the other person's side, or in order not to offend them, they will be against you as well. I remember many years ago that I was brought into a debate, and they asked me if I would sit on the uh, debate squad because the fact is they wanted to uh, discuss homosexuality or whatever was this position. And I pointed out then that according to the scriptures, and immediately there was a scoffing amongst everyone else that was there, Soon as I brought up the scripture, which is our mandate, our life, something that God has allowed me to have. And understand this. There are things that are written in this book that demand that I study. Not everything is going to be poured out my When I was a teacher in college many years ago, I, I told my students this. I said, whenever you deal with a, with trouble, you're going to learn you're going to learn one of two ways: constant repetitiveness, constant repetitiveness or the most difficult of challenges. If you face a difficult challenge, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I was working on a problem. You know, I was in computer science. I was a computer science major. And I was working on a computer, and it had baffled me for three days. In my sleep, I fixed the problem. And I got up the very next day, went to work, went right to the amplifier that was causing me the trouble, pulled the amplifier, put another amplifier in, and the problem was settled. And someone asked me, how did I figure that out? I said, it came to me in the night visions. Do you realize the Lord, and I'll tell you what, there's been times that I've walked in and said, Lord, just let, just let me see that everything's going to work. And the Lord has blessed me in that way. But may I point this out to you, there are times when difficulties will challenge you. You know what I'm, what I'm talking about. Here's the other thing that we need to understand. When we take a look at Daniel 
chapter 9, and we're going down to verse 25, one of the first things that we see here is that Gabriel is giving clear understanding. And one of the first things he said, let's look at verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, until the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and the threescore and two weeks, and the street thereof shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Let's take a look at this. One matter of fact, before we do, let's go to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. It's before the book of Psalms. Nehemiah, Psalm, Esther, Job. There we go. <coughs> Excuse me. And let's go over here one more page. All right, let's go down to verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, which is the first of the month, okay? There's uh, two names for the first month in the Jewish calendar, Abib and Nisan. All right, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been aforetime sad in his presence. You know, the reality is, is that you were always to be pleasant. He comes before Artaxerxes. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I, then I was very sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. This is what is being spoke of. So when I go over here to this map, and we see the decree from Artaxerxes to go forth and build up this city. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right, and we begin to see the Artaxerxes decree to Nehemiah. All the way up to this time frame, there was going to be 483 years. To rebuild Jerusalem would take 49 years. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of time, but understand this, is that Ezra had actually gone ahead and started working on the temple back at that time uh, as well. That's why the book of Ezra is there. But understand this, is that in that time frame, it would take 49 years to bring Jerusalem back to power. I, and that always amazed me. I thought, why does it take so long? Why, does it why would it take so long to rebuild it? They didn't have the technology we have. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Many years ago, I served in Germany. I lived in Germany, uh, you know, from 1978, roughly thereabouts, 78 to 80. Uh, 81. Matter of fact, my, I had my car delivered and it was going to be in 81. So in the three years that I lived in Germany, I never knew that I was still a part of Reconstruction. Do you realize after World War II, Germany was left in the rubble? There was, there was little buildings that didn't stand. There was one city that was just at the end of our... Uh, our runway that was called Spicer, and I, I, how true this is, I don't know, but it said that there was always, uh, the, the bombardiers would say, save one for Spicer. And evidently one of the soldiers had, or one of the airmen had, uh, survived the plane crash, but he was pitched for to death by people, and the word got back. So the bombardiers would always say, save one for Spicer. There are no old buildings in Spicer, and everything is new technology. Well, whether that is true or not, 
I didn't realize that Reconstruction did not finish till 1980. The war ended in 1945, and 35 years later, they declared that Reconstruction was completed. 35 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Well, when I say 49 years, you know, what we just saw up here, that first time frame, was the, the opportunity for Jerusalem to be completed. Now, what's interesting, it now says, once again, I want to look at verse uh, 25, knowing therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Why the seven weeks? That is going to be the completion of the building of Jerusalem. Now, there was walls in I'm going to show this to you. Let's go back to Nehemiah. And, and this one was really something that got me. Let's go to chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. And we're going to go read verses 1 and 2. I know this isn't in your notes, but I couldn't help but just think about this. In verse 1 it says, And the rulers of the people, this verse 1, dwelt at Jerusalem, the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten, one person in ten, one person in ten, to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. So that means that there were other cities that had to be built around Jerusalem, thus Judea. And the people blessed all the men that willingly... Why did I bring that up for you? Because Jerusalem had walls, but it didn't have a house. And so there had to be houses built... There had to be a palace that had to be built. It had to be readied for everything that would, you know, for restoration. They would even uh, have a place to make sure that the temple had its good places as well. Later on, when Nehemiah came back in, he found that the priests were out in the field taking care and harvesting their own crops because they were not being taken care of. Nehemiah's had to bring everything back into place to make sure they were ready to go. So that's why you had that 49 years of period. But now watch this. From the completion of the 49 years, three score and two weeks, which means up to the 69 years. That is the rest of that time frame that we see from Artaxerxes' decree for Nehemiah all the way over to Prince the, uh, Messiah the Prince. A grand total of 483 years. That's 62 years plus 400 and, uh, well, excuse me, 49 years plus 434 years. But then came the gap. Look what it says in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. I really thought about this one for a moment. I want you to see where the cutoff occurs. Watch this. Let's go to the book of Matthew. And let's go to chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. The question is going to come to the, to the Lord of the apostles. And notice what it says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Look at verse 2. And Jesus said unto them, See all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now the temple is going to be destroyed. 
not during the time of Christ, but in 70 AD it occurred. One of the things that I found was I wanted to know more about what was going on with this. Do you realize that, and this was something I had to research, what would cause these people to, or these soldiers to want to run in and destroy the temple? Well, there was a crown of gold that uh, Herod had put upon the temple, and it glistened everywhere. And then immediately, during the 70 AD period, or actually a couple of years before, you had high priests and priests and everyone else that began to rebel against the Roman Empire. There was a general by the name of Titus that came in, and he was holding the men back, and he said, don't go ransack or anything until I tell you it's ready. Those men did not listen. And immediately they started setting fire to the west of Jerusalem. And when they began to set fire, the gold began to seep down between the stones and go into the crevices and everything else of the place. When Jesus stated that one stone will not remain upon the other, here's the reason why. The greed of those Roman soldiers, because of the gold just so they could get the little bit of gold that was going to be in the cracks and crevices of that city. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so when I, one of the things that I had to learn was this. Why then is that unrevealed gap of time there? Here's the answer I've got for you. To bring us, meaning the Gentile people, unto the Lord. And that is, and I'll get into that a little bit more as we study and we'll continue our study. But right now it's 10 till. We want to go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Let's go ahead and close. Father, again, thank you for your goodness, and I pray that you will bless us now as we serve thee more. So lead and bless and direct now in Christ we pray. Amen. All right. Dismissed. Get ready.